Welcome to Ed's Not Dead. I'm Robbie Dodd. I'm joined by my co-hosts, Casey Siddons. Hello. And Peter Crable. Hey, still here. <laughs> All right, let's re- let's remind the audience uh, of our Twitter handles. Mr. Sids. Mine is C.H. Siddons. Okay. Uh, mine is Peter Crable. All one word. All one and word. I added a fat face picture of myself. I saw that. It's pretty good. Did you really? You added a picture. I did. And, and uh, went, that was yeah, good. Yeah. I'm I, proud of you. Yeah, I look exceptionally wide-faced. Did, did we get any feedback on our picture of the three of us on our, our podcast website? No feedback. Okay. No My feedback. mom told me I looked a little scary, a little bit like... That's not nice. Yeah, not That's safe not nice. to be around. I, think, I, I think. will say my mom uh, commented after I mentioned about how nurses are... Or how teachers are not prepared or not given any preparation, time to prepare. Where did nurses come from? <laughs> I think My mom was a nurse. Oh, okay, who, who was asked to do the job of a veteran from day one? Yes, that's right. That, that's right. She, <laughs> that was the first thing that she texted me. She said, just so you know, yeah. uh, nurses too. Yeah, so your so mom pointed that out to you. Very quickly. Okay. And she's right. Yep, she is right. All right, we have an outstanding show planned today, fellas, uh, with a thick, my 13-year-old told me to say that, thick lineup <laughs> wow. of topics. I don't think I said thick, right? But no, that's, that's perfect. Okay. Really good. We're going to take a look at some recent research and commentary on vouchers and charters. Mr. Crable, this is near and dear to your heart. We're also going to talk about algebra as a stumbling block in uh, kids' pathway through community colleges all across the country. And we're going to get into Dear Betsy, who was always doing pres- great things always, yeah you know, and she's, always, she's doing stuff and yeah. she's present to protect us from bears <laughs> um cue the bear sound yeah we're gonna have the bear sound in, hopefully in the next episode today we are going to discuss a recent speech that the secretary gave on special education um and a reaction to that speech also we might get into uh, the recent salvo that occurred between the secretary, Betsy DeVos, and Randy Weingarten, the president of AFT. And finally, Mr. Siddons, our game show host, you're going to hit us with some timely Ed trivia at the end of the show? Uh, actually, today, I think it's a top ten list. What's that book you have with you? Did uh, it come from that? It's a book of things. Okay. Yeah, right. we, we're not going to list out the types of lumber that you can get from okay. from uh, the West Coast. Book of things. The it's, book of it's, things. It's, it's, or, it's fascinating. It actually is a, it's a book of things. Intertidal zones? Yes, the inter- very good. You okay. remember that. Yeah, I do yeah. remember that. Okay. All right. First, I want to find out, how's it going, Mr. Siddons and Mr. Craves? We need to catch up on your lives, and we also need to talk about show feedback. So what have you guys been doing during the dog days of summer? Oh, man, I'm, I'm working. I'm doing things. Yeah. I went to a conference Sunday, Monday, Tuesday on the Holocaust at the Holocaust Museum. It was uh, intense, but it was it was very informative as a teacher. All right, so I have some. I have just a few questions. Um, have you been to any fun amusement parks this summer? No, I haven't been in. <laughs> <laughs> there are a lot no of bewildered fun looks over here. But okay. no, no, none of those. Have you ridden Wonder Woman at Six Flags? No, we have. I have not. You've not done that. No, uh, no, I've Mr. Crave. Would you do it if you had the chance? I, is Mr. it? Crave. I assume it's a roller coaster. It's, it's yeah. a big Do you have to coaster? wait in a line? No, I don't think so. Okay. Have they become big, like demonstrably bigger in the yes, last twenty Wonder, years? Wonder Woman is huge, and, and it's all the rage with the early adolescents this Were summer. Were you a little scared? I did not go. I just heard oh, it. Oh, okay. Yeah, my, oh. my, my son read on it. And concerts. Yes. I what do we have with I concerts? went to a concert. Oh, Actually, oh. I went to two concerts. I didn't even tell you about the no. other one. He got a kitchen pass. <laughs> and I so, went to one. Oh, but yeah, you we, go first. So I was up in uh, New York this past weekend, and I went to see a little band called Fish. 
band. Local. Yeah. They're a local, local band. Local, yeah. Okay. They specialize in 25 minutes. <laughs> so they are a jam check, band. Check the box on that one. Uh, but it was actually a lot of fun. So did that little throwback. And then I had forgotten. But on Tuesday night, a Tuesday night concert. So think about that for a second. Oh, I went to see 311 at the Fillmore. Oh, <laughs> I did not hear. That's a good one. I, I just, yeah. What, did you feel did like you were. Did you go solo to that? No, a buddy of mine got tickets, Man. and nice. did you feel like you were in like middle school again? Uh, I don't know. It was like it was it was a little weird. You know, I didn't listen to a lot of Three Eleven in the last decade, but <laughs> they were they were awesome. They good. were yeah, they were really good. That's awesome. Nice. Yeah. I went to see a band called Soul Witness, and you went and saw Southern Culture. <laughs> I don't know if you knew that Soul Witness. Soul Witness. R- Robbie doesn't even he's he doesn't even the know joke the is name. lost on him. No. That's my band, Mr. Oh, B. Yeah. yeah. Was that at the Tacoma Park? It was. It was, uh, it was the big hi- show. Hippie festival? It, it, no, it was at the gazebo. Oh, the gazebo. gazebo. That's a that's a huge venue. Yeah, but there, let's let's hear Casey talk okay, about. Okay, you talk about it. Was it was very good. Was it? I enjoyed it. There was probably yeah. more children than adults, but it was <laughs> it was an awesome show. Did yeah. Mr. And then Crable I was. Throw, did Mr. Crable throw out any picks into the audience? Uh, no, he no, but there okay. he was distracted sometimes trying to find his wandering children <laughs> as he was playing. Yeah. Uh, I have a good picture of his, of his youngest sitting behind the bass amp. Very nice. Yeah. It's good. Ear Very protection, first and foremost. I will also, while, while I'm promoting myself, just generally. <laughs> uh, we did say we were going to promote your band. We yeah. did. Yes, and so right there's actually something to promote now. So we were played on NPR. Nice. How did yes. you find out about that? Uh, I just listened avidly, and I recorded <laughs> it. Uh, no, Casey actually <laughs> – Randomly, was like, oh, they played your band on NPR. I was like, okay, haha, no, they didn't. And he, that's awesome. He's like eight he, in the morning. He sends me a video, and I was like, oh my god, it's amazing. And I was like, wait, why are you videotaping? You're like, you listening to the radio, that's right? Uh, but he said they just played it for a while, and he knew what it was, and so he's like, Crable's never gonna believe me. Which is true. He did. Which not I was me. like, you're lying. That's um, and they sent me the video, and I was like, that great is exposure, Mr. Uh-huh. Factual information. Maybe maybe Excuse we'll me. get on the big listen now because of that. Soul yeah. witness. What the podcast? Yeah, yeah. That's that's the goal, right? Yeah. That is the goal. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I saw Toad the Wet Sprocket. I heard yeah. they were great. Circa 1991. Took us back, my wife and I, for our anniversary present to ourselves. That's exciting. Yeah, so that was fun. So I heard you're – during that time when you went to see Toad, you were just getting over a really bad – did you hear that 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 Robbie was sick? He had a severe case of uh, FOMO. (laughs) I don't know if you – is everything all right? Are you feeling better? When when did I have FOMO? Oh, like And what caused the FOMO? Oh, I don't know. Just feeling left out. Oh yeah, Casey. Casey had a had a nice get together in Annapolis for crabs with oh. with several former w- colleagues. Actually, there were no crabs, but I wouldn't. I, I saw did. a picture of a crab. No, that was an oyster. Okay, sorry. <laughs> I was, well, it was fine. I was busy that day. So. <laughs> well, I got completely left out. Of that. <laughs> and but you're feeling better now. I feel better. Okay, good. good. Yeah, very nice. Um, let's talk about feedback. You want to talk about feedback? I think you got okay. some good feedback. All right. So the question is: Has one episode of Ed's Not Dead changed your lives, or what's the feedback told you? Are, ha, has our audience been overall? Have they given us the benefit of the doubt, or um, did anyone kill us online? All positive, I think. Yeah, yeah. The one uh, one item I think I walked away asking myself was, "Am I an elitist? <laughs> <laughs> Is that what's going on You're here? Part like, of I'm the somehow, alternative I'm media. Somehow, like, I'm, I'm." <laughs> You know, I was just saying people needed to go to Ivy League schools and all this stuff that I don't believe at all. Right. Yeah. You know, somebody counted how many times I said bright. Yeah. Which yeah. was embarrassing. We got feedback about bright and yes. talented and teachers. Smart, yeah. and, smart teachers. Yeah, that smart was that was teachers. the biggest. Yeah. On the way up to New York, um, Casey and a former colleague of ours, 
I don't know if you were on that. T- you were on that text too. Yeah. Just saying. He just how, wasn't answering. Yeah, we didn't have a growth no, mindset for teachers. Yeah, that was yes. Yeah. I I had some disagreement with that. Yeah. That was a long text chain that I stayed out of. It because, was because I was passionate about because our our dear former colleague was questioning our our commitment to the idea our belief that, system. Yeah, our belief system about teachers. So. I, I Not cool, to, man. I chose, I chose <laughs> to ignore that. Yeah. I thought it was a good discussion. Yeah. Mostly because well, I won. I replied. He did win a... that. <laughs> Crable, Crable basically said that he could never be a good math teacher. Uh, no, matter, no matter what. I said what. I couldn't be like a chemical engineer yes, or something. Yes, okay. Right. You I said no matter you could. how hard I tried. Yeah. I said you could. That's nice. And our former colleague <laughs> just railed against that. I mean, she thought that if, if you really had the right I could teaching, be anything that I want to be. You yeah, can. Exactly. You totally anything. can. Okay. We All should right. believe in that. Yeah. Uh, my 13-year-old had a lot of very biting criticism for his father. As he should. Yes. That's he, kind of his he, role. So I'm trying to incorporate his, his feedback into our show today. Um, anything else? No. No. We would love any feedback you have on Twitter. Yep. Just give us a reply. Join the discussion. At Ed's Not Dead PC. That's right. R.W. Dodd. C.H. Siddons. Or Peter Crable. Um, we really do want to hear from the audience, and we very much appreciate you tuning in and listening. So, all right, let's jump into today's big discussion, our first big segment on the current and future state of school choice in the U.S., um, I don't know if you guys saw this, but Ian Whitaker has an excellent piece in The Atlantic. Did you all see this? I didn't read it. <laughs> okay, <laughs> I looked at well, the pictures. That, that, <laughs> that takes pictures. a third of the show. Uh, out well, of it. Okay. I looked at other articles. Uh, well, basically, uh, what Whitaker talks about is Nevada's groundbreaking, I'm using air quotes, Ooh, I can yes. see them. Su- I see them. super voucher plan. Uh, he talks about the super voucher plan in the context of Betsy DeVos's um, I think pretty clear support of school choice. She's made that pretty clear. Yes. Uh, it seems that the idea of vouchers, you guys, as an answer to underperforming schools, at least in this article, to me is being shown as a guise for something much bigger, and that much bigger seems to be vouchers for all. And that's the direction that Nevada and then Arizona, I think, has also tried yeah, to go, yeah, trying to go as, as well. Um, so the curtain on the voucher thing is kind of increasingly getting pulled back. Um, and it's 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 making vouchers in these states accessible for all parents parents regardless of income. So there's a statement I wanted to read you guys in the article from Robert Enlow. Um, he's the head of Ed Choice, which is a pro voucher group. Uh, Nevada has become the bellwether for what universal voucher programs should look like around the country. So my question to you all to start us off is: What's this pivot all about in Nevada uh, toward vouchers for all, and what are the implications for our choice advocates, but also for defenders of public ed. So let me let me ask both of you two questions. Are you going to fire back a question? You're going to ask. No, but they're but they're just yeah, no, yeah, they're just yes, good. they're yes no questions. Okay, very easy. All right, so question one. Oh, he's going to do the Sean Hannity oh. on us. Here we go. <laughs> if a city implements, let's say, a free pre-K program, right? So they say, all right, next year we're going to have free pre-K for all, but they don't have the means within. Um, the city to provide spots for all the three-year-olds, let's say they want to be in a pre-K program, should they provide and or supplement money in a private school pre-kindergarten program? Just a yes or no? I would say morally they would be obligated to. Maybe? Okay. I don't know. No. Well, not whether or not they're allowed to, but whether or not they should. I'm so going to say no so, to everything. So they should just pick and choose who gets to go for free to pre-K and tell other kids that they can't go it's definitely an issue of equity if you're if you're looking at 
Okay, I changed my answer to yes. Okay. <laughs> okay. Second, but they wouldn't be allowed to. In general, it's irrelevant. I know. In general. Irrelevant. If a student is in a failing school, and we're not going to debate what a failing school means, oh. should they be given the opportunity, yes or no, to attend a non-failing school? No. Uh, it's a gray issue. It's a gray issue. I told I told you. I told you. I told you he's it. doing the Sean yeah, Hannity. He's boxing like us in. Yes, yes or no? Or no, I'm not. I'm not. I, I, right. I, I'm, I'm, not, so I'm before, not afraid of your questions. Okay. Not, I say no. Okay. Okay. Well, I gave you two choices, and you, you're the only one that answered <laughs> yes or no. So the point is, you know, before we get into all this stuff about vouchers, vouchers have become very political. You know, oh, if I'm this, then I believe in vouchers. If right. I'm not, and the point is that it is more nuanced, right? So both of those examples sure. I gave are two systems from two of the most liberal or, you know, cities in the country. Right. New York, pre-K, right. and D.C. has a federally funded voucher program. Right. So right. I just wanted to set that out there which, before which it's like, by, vouchers, wah, 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 right. you which, know. by the way, I want to point out, yes, uh, we know nothing about those programs because there is no transparency about how that money's spent and about right. how those schools do. So, what, I don't, so if you, I'm a parent, it's a little bit difficult to make a decision other than that I know that I get this money – and there's this storefront school that I can go enroll my kid in right. that will get my kid out of what I perceive to be a failing school. Uh, but I don't really know how successful that school is. I may get some information about how my kid does in the school, but I won't get any information about how that school does relative to other schools. You were, you were texting about that earlier in the week. Where, what is that information from? The, the lack of transparency. You said that they didn't have. There's actually a DC system. It was yeah. written into law in 2004. Yeah. By that not by DC, but by, by the well, government. A, right, it's federal yeah. Congress. Okay. Um, that you actually can't distribute results. Yeah. Um, I think it was in the name of like so that you um, weren't able to pinpoint specific students at specific schools. Like if enough information is released, I okay. believe the logic was, you know, oh well, there's this kid. That's who's receiving the voucher right. at that particular school. But the voucher logic is is the only accountability structure that really needs to be in place is the parent's experience with the school. That's, that's the information that, that, so Betsy, Betsy DeVos has said, uh, why should some bureaucrat in Washington get that information when, if, when, when the parent gets that information and therefore they'll make the decision about whether the school is good by whether they walk or they stay. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, isn't that the conceit? Yeah. Of the, whole the, thing? The, the quotes are pretty incredible from DeVos and her spokesperson. So, yeah, you said parents know or can figure out what learning environment is best for their child. And we must give them the right to choose where they be. And, you know, receiving public money, they should be accountable. She was like, no, no, no. They're they're accountable to parents and communities. Of course. And a kid. I'm sorry. Parents and families know what's best. Not some data cruncher in Washington. <laughs> right. Not some like, teacher. Okay. Yeah. I mean, yeah. And listen, I'm, I don't say that to um, – as a parent, you know, p parents do have a, 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 a great idea about how effective their kids' schools are. I mean, they're, yeah. they're much more informed, and so I'm not, I'm not devaluing how they can – how able they are to gauge the effectiveness of a school. But um, I do think there – I think there's a little bit of irony that – if you go back a decade or two in the kind of run up to the coercive coercive accountability, as I like to call it, yeah. under NCLB, no child um, left behind. No, no child left no behind. Thank you. It's like in an interview, you have to explain the acronyms. 
in case people don't know. Well, it's um, probably good because NCLB is not a thing anymore. I know. It's, it, it will always kind of I know. keep a, be a big play. It'll give you some sort of Yeah, that, brought, that brought about anxiety. data. As the, yeah, as that brought about data. As but the, only, you know, the only way to... But look at states like Indiana and Florida who have um, highly transparent and some might say coercive kind, kinds of ratings on schools. Yes. Right? And, and politically, that has tended to be a conservative movement although there's been plenty of democrats that have signed on over the years um uh ted kennedy as one in the in the in the inception and development of nclb but now we have this new movement in vouchers and choice where we're we're finding the opposite reality which is no transparency about how schools do. yeah so i'm just trying to jive so, those two so then things what i my my thinking is if you are a child in a or your parent of a child in a failing school, what are the what recourse do you have to try to make that school improve? Because in, in a lot of states, there's a lot of states where that's the only school you have. Mm-hmm. So what at this point in most states, what do they do? And that's and that, it's kind of the districts are well, beholden. You're stuck there. I mean, you're, you're stuck and that's, that's why it's you know that's why vouchers in general are. They just are interesting to me, not because I'm like, oh, everybody should have a voucher or anything like that, but the idea is tantalizing <laughs> to me. You know, I think in there's a lot of ways that it's implemented exceptionally poorly. There's right. a lot of yes. facets of different states' programs that I wholeheartedly disagree with. Right. Um, that I think are just kind of morally wrong, but that's kind of the question that I come back to is like, man, if you are sort of in a school that is not that great um, – how do you how do you go about proving improving your lot? And I, I that actually comes to a different point that I was talking to my my brother about and my sister in law. They they're they're in a district up outside of Boston, and they if you go if you Google their local elementary school, it's it has a some, some based on some parent comment or something, it has like a three out of five stars. Mm-hmm. And but you look at the data for that particular school, and the data is pretty strong. If you look at, if you kind of drill down, but most parents don't have the time to actually figure that out or want to figure that out. They look at that three stars or two stars and they're like, oh, this school is not working. I'm going to send my kid to private school or whatever. Yeah. It seems like just very one dimensional. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, they're trying to do that in Maryland now with the, the, with the rating system. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, you know, the, the the public information that you can get about the performance of schools, um, you know, so some parents won't look beyond that rating system or beyond certain standardized test scores. Um, But I do think it's a good place for parents to start to be able to look at that kind of information to get a sense of what their, their, their child school might be all about. Um, I've always encouraged, you know, parents of 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 kids that are going to be in kindergarten to go to a pta meeting you know go to a back to school night may set up an appointment with the principal to, to get the rest of the story right um and a lot of parents do do that and they you know it's long been known i think research has shown for decades in the u.s that if you ask a typical parent about their neighborhood school they will in most cases say decent to very favorable things about the school that their kids go to when you ask them about schooling at large or nationally 
And the worst. <laughs> they say bad things about it. Right. So our school is great, but everybody else. Everybody exactly. Else. And that's, Terrible. that's part of the reality here is, is that, you know, we, we t- typically like what's close to us, even if it's not perfect. Yeah. Um, but we, when we look out around the rest of the country or the state, we, we think that most things are bad. I do have a larger thing that weighs over me about vouchers and school choice. It's like this, this, this effort by a group of folks in the United States that just wants to completely privatize, completely devolve public schools from the the government. Yeah. And turn it into just a private corporation, yeah, private well, it's, entity. It's a Milton Friedman thing. It is let's go, let's let the market let's let the market do its, you know, the the invisible hand do its work and that through competition and efficiency and that that and and trying to create more value in these schools that you that Schools will improve. Right. Um, so I, I don't. I don't. There, ki- is, there is a case study of exactly that, and that Hit is us in with your case study, Sweden. Oh, Sweden. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. So they have that. It's every kid gets a voucher. Right. Private schools charge exactly what a voucher costs. So it's not the subsidy of a private school. It costs, you know, exactly what the voucher is provided right. for. Um, and so what's been interesting is over the last several years, in the the PISA rankings, and I. Couldn't tell you what that stood for, but it's the <laughs> the sort of international math in age. Did Mr. Crave will just say on Ed's not dead that he doesn't know what pieces <laughs> yeah, stands yeah. for. I, I, Mr. Mr. Sins, it's very important Google international test. Um, the measures capacity in <laughs> math and you know uh, English pizza. reading. Oh, wait, reading. I think it's. Uh, I think I'm it's, just waiting. It's, it's a I'm monument. Using, it's I'm a using, monument in Italy. I'm using wait. Uh, it's, it's that tower that that leaned. Anyway, it's Program for International Student Assessment. That was on the tip of my tongue. I know. You were just yeah. going to say it, right? Yeah. So anyway, they've <laughs> Sweden's taken the nosedive, and that's often one data point that's for the United States. It's like, look how terrible our kids are. You know, We're in the middle of the pack in, in these PISA rankings compared to South Korea, Finland, blah, blah, blah. Right. So Sweden used to be towards the top of those rankings. They've fallen off considerably. And what they found was that when you go into Sweden and – um, Sweden, Swiss <laughs> meatballs. Yeah, you eat a lot of meatballs. Go to a lot of IKEA, and teachers actually end up grading much easier because everything is based on these test scores. So everything oh, is in test scores. Right. So if you just grade easier, your school looks amazing. Everybody's right. like, "That's a great school," but it doesn't actually reflect learning. So it's a competition down to the bottom. Instead of improving, improving, improving. Um, everybody just grades easier and easier and easier to inflate their scores to make them look better, to make them more appealing. When really, in judged against this one particular standard, right. they're actually doing worse. Well, so I, it's it's a big crap ball. I, it's a big, I, I just I think li- that's a technical. Is that a technical term for that? I just like how Betsy, um, in this article and post, she she accused Randy Weingarten and and the unions of being quote defenders of the status quo end quote who care only about quote, school systems and not about individual children. Um, so she's really, she's really, uh, vouchers have become about choice and individual children. And that's their, that's their, that's how they're selling it. Um, and I don't, you know, I mean, the three of us worked in a highly managed, controlled choice model. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. Um and so I, I think all three of us left that choice model thinking that it did have some benefits for for parents and for kids. Kids got to choose a program that they were interested in, and parents right. got to visit those schools and see what they thought was the best match for their for their 
child. I get a little bit unnerved when I see the the pushback against transparency and accountability. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think they. I, I, I think not only is not only is this is the resource stream not really not are they not only are they not accountable for that but in correct me if I'm wrong Mr. Craze but in many of these situations the kids don't even take the standardized measures that correct. public school it's, systems are accountable yeah, right. depending on states but yeah. yeah I mean that's you know so so if you're a parent how does that help parents how does that inform parents yeah and look and that's what I'm saying there's I did a bunch of research on Indiana because that has been, in some cases, held up as a model of, of school choice. And there's a lot of things within there that I find infuriating. So, for example, what Indiana has ended up becoming is it's a private school subsidy. So a very high percentage, and I can find it at some point, of students receiving vouchers never actually attended an Indiana public school. So they were already in private school. And then they applied for a voucher, so it just ends up subsidizing private school education. Did they go to the casino with that money? <laughs> what they do with that? <laughs> they paid. They paid the they paid religious institution. I so mean, okay. and, and and they just opened up through a new some new laws that said that that you the the income threshold is higher. From what I read, I don't know if how what the income threshold what is. It, is. What is it about this new model, like? Uh, uh, health savings accounts and voucher accounts. I mean, is this the you're it, putting the power into people's hands, giving them the money to make their own choices? Well, well that's yeah. in that's what Nevada tried to do. They these education savings accounts, right? Know, the same. Th so they said we'll give you X thousands of dollars. You put it in this ESA education savings account, and you can do whatever you want with it. Right. Um, part of that was ruled unconstitutional. So, right. um, and then actually Democrats took over the state legislature. Uh, so it's not happening. Super vouchers are not happening I in did, Nevada. I did not totally get. They said that the, the 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 did you just say this that the way that the model was going to be funded was unconstitutional. Yeah, and I didn't. How really are they going to find another way to fund it? But it wasn't the ESAs per se. It was something so technocratic and technical and, and okay. legalese that it was it was not easy to parse out. Like I, I didn't come away with a full understanding of exactly what it was. But they said it's not because one of the. Um, arguments against it was okay i'm giving you this money and then you're using this money to give to a, a religious institution so does is that not tantamount to um you know not separating church and state essentially so right. government subsidize um you know religious affiliation and they said no that actually is not the case yeah well randy weingarten re again recently fought back against this idea and she she um brought up the subject of of brown v board in her in, in kind of contextualizing this, where she says, after the Brown decision, many school districts, especially in the South, resisted integration. In Virginia, white officials in Prince Edward County, and this is a well-known story, closed every public school in the district rather than have white and black children go to school together. They opened private schools where only white parents could choose to send their children, and they did it using public money. So uh, um, AFT uh, and other, other groups are really making this voucher battle sound like the um, apocalyptic battle of our time in, in public ed. It's kind of getting those proportions. Well, Betsy's calling it a civil rights issue. Yes. That's what she's using. Those are yeah. the that's the terminology, and it's a deliberate use of language to say that it's a civil rights issue. And it's, that's easy to say, but here's the deal in Indiana. Fewer than 1% of voucher students 
used a pathway written into law that's meant specifically for students leaving failing schools. Didn't they find the same thing in Nevada? Yeah. Early so it's on? not. Yeah, it's all suburban yeah. white kids in yeah. Reno and Vegas. Right. So it's not actually. Yeah, that sounds like a great idea. It is a civil rights issue to get your kid into a school right. that's not failing, but that's not what it's being used for. That's not how it's being used. Now there were some examples that the Post gave of the voucher system, the congressional voucher system in D.C where there were African-American parents mm-hmm. that were interviewed in that article yeah, yeah. that cited the, the, the opportunity. I think it was one mom who talked about her three kids that all had all, all used a voucher. Um, and one of her sons has just been accepted to the Naval Academy, yeah. which is like 9% of kids that apply get in. Um, and she really saw it as a way to give her an option to put her kids in schools that she thought would work better for them. Um, she's African-American. Uh, so I, I do wonder, based on where it happens, whether you're an herb, whether it's a, uh, some of that's going to depend on demographics and where and where you are. So we do know that there are. Um, I think it's safe to say there are people of color that have benefited in some way from vouchers. Absolutely, and that's why. To again, going back to the beginning, it is tantalizing for me because it seems like it should work. You know, right? Take the ideas like. Get, you know, give your kid money to go to a school that's not failing. You also, li- you also live in a big city I where, where it might be an option for you. Yes, that's yes. also true. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, that's why it's so fascinating because of, the, of stories like that. Wow, it worked great. Why isn't it working great like that in more instances or more cases? Right. Um, so I guess uh, the question that I started out with is um, – to me, the, the genie is out of the bottle on vouchers and chargers. The toothpaste is out of the tube. <laughs> that's a, I think that's a better one. You can't get it back in. Yeah, that's <laughs> – no, and we can't get this back in. No. So so just, you know I, – I, I disagree with that in some ways because I think once once the word gets out – well, hopefully the, the market's going to take out. care of it and they're no, all going to go just, under. <laughs> and, I think that the, these these ex, these quote-unquote experiments that they're, they're trying with so many kids – it's it's showing the data is increasingly showing that it's not an effective way to, to run a school system, and I and I do I don't know I, I do think that by and large people are satisfied with their education I hope but I have no data to support that so that's completely I I just there's something about the public school system that I think people by and large have faith in, and their local teachers they have faith in. Mm-hmm. Um, can't say the same for college professors and the, the people the thing that things that people say about college professors but um i have this optimistic faith that they'll get shut down hopefully mm-hmm. but maybe not all right do you want to talk about remedial math in... i love the math oh you did love that <laughs> yeah and we, and we had a good <laughs> the lead. maths the, ma- the maths all right so right now uh and i know you guys are very interested in this um and I know, Casey, you you struggled with this with social studies and math <laughs> when you were in college, <laughs> did you? Uh, <laughs> only a little bit. Was it their remedial math course? Maybe. I it, I don't think okay. they called it a remedial <laughs> math course, but it certainly felt like it. Okay. But then I took. I was there actually, a lot of like booger pickers in your class, just were, looking around and, and drool. I think I was one yeah. of them. <laughs> okay. It was eight in the morning, but I had uh, another class, yeah. my third year, where it was. I had the best math teacher, my last math class I ever took, best math teacher ever. And I got an A. Very nice. First day I ever got into math. What, was it intermediate algebra? No, it was like a, it was like a, trigon- it was like a trigonometry. Okay. Mm, fancy. Okay, fancy. All right. Well, 
intermediate algebra is the topic of discussion in California. So um, across the country, in California in particular, for our discussion tonight, there's been a ton of resources um, put into community colleges, especially for in the in the name of workforce readiness, college and career readiness. Um, and the stumbling block in that pathway through community college for many kids is algebra. Um, it's often referred to as just algebra or in intermediate algebra, college level algebra. Um, so California community colleges noted that the state will need 1.1 million more workers with bachelor's degrees by 2030, but that, but that only 48% of the system students earned a certificate or associate degree or transferred to a four-year university within six years. The chancellor of, uh, in California, what was his name, Mr. Crable? Eloy Ortiz Oakley. Oh, very good, yeah. that was Ooh. a great point. Wow. I said it slowly to make sure I remembered. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so he says that college-level algebra is probably the greatest barrier for students, particularly first-generation students, students of color, for obtaining a credential. If we know we're disadvantaging large swaths of students who need we need in the workforce, we have to ask the question, why? So, you guys, what are your thoughts on how to address what obviously is a barrier for many kids in their higher ed pathway? So I think one thing everybody should know is that the three of us sitting here are all liberal arts majors. <laughs> so that true. may skew <laughs> part of this Not conversation. Not me. I am pro-hardcore math in college. <laughs> yeah. So we have an I, English, I am, we have an English am, major, in camp. English an major. education major, okay. and a history You were an English major? major? Uh, yeah, of course yeah. I was. Oh, man. Yeah. That's why Who so do you think does all this writing on the show? <laughs> That's why he's so eloquent. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm a math, math literate. I'd kill it. Where do you stand? Just get You'd rid, kill it? Just get rid of it. I think that's that's such a low standard. So you, I, I, think one, I think it's a teacher issue and not a student issue. Ooh, he just he, he went just, right there. I was going to teacher I was going to save that one. Well, what what else could it be? I was gonna, so the room, so let me get. Well, he's doubled down well, now, so he's got to go with the teacher issue. So round me, round out the story. So, my, from what I understand, you have to take at least one algebra course in order to graduate with, with an associate's from a community college, or is it that is? You, a, are you getting a bachelor's from? No, no, I think it's an associate's. Okay, yeah, so. it's 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 an associate. It's a certificate, uh, some form of credential. Uh, th these are the kind of the metrics they look at, um, or entrance into a four year institution right. so i and I, it's not it's not just taking away the math requirement to be clear it's saying algebra is not the be-all end-all of mathematical logical reasoning so for non-stem majors the proposal the idea is um to take a different math course a stats course some something else aside from algebra so you might be have more to take a lower math irrelevant. course a lower different okay well different let, math let me ask let me ask mr siddons this because I think this will potentially align with his with his his lead in about it being a teacher problem potentially. Let's it's, call it a professor problem. It's a teacher problem. Okay, teacher problem. Um, some of the some of what I see about entrance into community colleges with the placement tests that they have to take um, strikes me or reminds me of some of the gatekeeping that we've seen over our time in public education, right? So. Uh, community colleges don't typically look at necessarily how kids did with their grades in high school. They have to take a placement test. If they don't do well, they're relegated to remedial math. Remediation. Remediation. Right. Um, to me, that's a little bit like we can't let you in this course because. Um, and 
so does does that 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 those those does that align with what you're talking and about being add, a teacher problem? Or are you just talking about the teachers don't know how to teach? Let me add, hold on, let me add fuel to the fire too. <laughs> okay, come on, we're so we can at you. Yeah, we're, so Same. I read the, I read the comments section, so oh, one of the articles. Which, that is that was first mistake, <laughs> which is Why? all fact based, by the way. <laughs> no, so one student uh, was an art major or getting an art certificate, yet they were still required to take and pass an algebra course. I think they should. I think they should be required to take it. I think uh, if we were to say the same about arts and be like, well, we don't want to take arts, they would be all up in arms. But I, I think I think taking arts, any kind of art course, is important. And for me, as not a non-artist and someone that doesn't seem pro- feel proficient in art, I get frustrated with art. But I think it's important to take it in some capacity. And the same thing with algebra. I'd say it's just easier to quantify a grade in something why like does, algebra. Rather why than does it art. have to be algebra? Why is algebra so important? I think it's an important in why? terms in terms of higher level thinking and thinking like abstractly. I think it's an important. I, I, I so I'm, I'm with Mr. Sids on that. Oh, well, okay, well, explain to me because I had to grill somebody, a math teacher, and say, "Tell me why you know, tell me why algebra is important." So, can either of you, who are staunch wanna, defenders you, of algebra, can you tell me what algebra is and why it's so important? I, well, I think algebra, based on I'm using your, um, you actually had to write down algebra problems <laughs> in, <laughs> I your, in your notes for the show. I so, wanted so, examples. Okay, so I, I wanted some examples. <laughs> And I only have fourteen dollars and thirty six. I'm going to the bar, and I have fifteen dollars. What that, can I do? Uh, I well, th- you, those those problems that you listed on your on your show prep sheet, yes. I think, speak to the importance of algebra. I mean, uh, it's it's abstract, but it has major real world implications for how kids think quantitatively. I think that's been I think that's been proven. It's certainly important in um, in the public school K to twelve trajectory um i mean it, it when you look at the 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 impact that success in algebra has on how kids do in high school it's it's yeah. it's right there so but i think i, I also, why is that any different than than in in a two-year college or in a four-year i also college? think it helps in terms of just being able to persevere through problems and just that general mindset of being someone who can persevere through something that's that's an abstract concept algebra is hard Okay, so what's wrong with what's wrong with making kids' brains hurt? So, you say they have to take algebra in order to understand this type of reasoning. So, the one example in varying forms that you see about algebra across the board is you have one dollar. You know, you want to buy four. You want to buy gum. It's twenty-five cents each. How many pieces of gum can you buy? Mm-hmm. So, algebra at its core is finding an unknown variable. Right. So, you mean to tell me if a kid didn't take algebra? or failed algebra, and they went to the store, and they were faced with that problem, they would be unable to solve that issue? No, I, th- I think it comes down to a mindset issue in terms of how the person is able to tackle certain problems or to, to go through a process by which they have to figure something out. Yeah, I, I, I will say that I, I, if you ask me, how, you know, the, your example of buying Slices of gum, <laughs> which, which, is how, which, which is how they sell it these days. Slices. slices. I've never heard of such a thing. So, like, if if you're giving me that problem, I do struggle with algebra. I do struggle with math in general, but it's something that I'm willing to persevere through because I know it's it's something that's 
that is a positive, a net positive for my own thing. You are definitely not an auditory learner. And that, no, and that, no, no, and no. That, and and no. that example without any visuals. No, I was lost. It was I know. immediately. He had me after he did the slices of gum. I was, I was, <laughs> I was, I was done. I was done, was yeah. Um, but my point is that but, but you Mr. can you can Mr. figure Mr. it out when you need to figure it out. You're asking this huge question about why is algebra important? I mean, I think it's can't we say that? Um, I think it's pretty agreed upon that algebra is an important mathematical area of thinking. Would you and, say that? And, would you, would and, you say that all your courses in college were useful? No. How about high school? Do you remember anything from high school? In, what do you mean? Do I remember anything? Do you from remember high content? Do you remember things that you did in yeah. your classes? Yeah. Like the what? Jan term class I took, Art of the Oriental Rug, was incredibly important. <laughs> <laughs> Where did you uh, take that? It was a Jan term class. What is that? A January term. January off. I had to I've never heard of such a thing. Yeah. yeah it was so awesome. anyway, my po my point in that is that you could argue that taking history class or taking. Yeah. Um, yearbook class how is that even useful then we, we are having yeah and there are some classes that are not okay but purposeful. we're having this discussion because kids struggle with it correct right yes so how do you explain that it's a teacher issue <laughs> <laughs> it's a teacher issue and See, I, I had to build up casey Ruda. Uh, i was like i was gonna build there and be like Man, teacher right, so it's not a student so issue. he opened the door for you why so, is it a teacher issue because it's it, it's not necessarily the community college's fault it's it is a buildup of and it goes back to our previous episode where we don't have an effective teaching force that's teaching well. All right. So let me hit you with this, though. So, okay, I think we can go back and forth all day on whether algebra is important or not. But the reality is um, California is discussing getting rid of it. But in lots of places in the country, it's still going to exist. Uh, this researcher, his name is Barr, in 2013, he used... Um, a lot of data from the UC system in California. Uh, he's, he's done some extensive research on algebra. And this was really interesting to me because it gets more to the question, if kids struggle in the remedial math sequence in, in, in community college, instead of getting rid of algebra, what do we do as a result of them study, uh, struggling? So, and and li listen to this statistic. Yeah. Um, Barr. <laughs> Barr, that's his name. Uh, Many students continue the community college for an average about of about three semesters. But of those kids, two-thirds of those kids, only 7% of these students complete a certificate and only 16% complete a credential or any kind of transfer to a four-year institution. So, so the data doesn't look good. If you, well, fa if you fail math, it's in all likelihood that you're going to drop out right. soon. And is where are they getting that message from? Are they getting it from their advisor who says, well, well I you would, have to take this? Well, you have to keep taking it until you pass it. So I would say if, if they come out of there feeling hopeless, like, well, I'm right. never going to pass well, this. You know what, right. Well, you, why do you pay money? And, and, and you know what his research shows? It shows that those students who fail it have a significantly lower mean course credit load after exiting the remedial math sequence than they had prior to the sequence. Yeah. So, so they take less classes. Correct. It's just a slow. They start to check out. out. Yeah. Yes. So to me, um, and his argument is, so why are we not directing those kids into some kind of credentialing track where they don't need math, but they can get some form of a credential that will will set them up for a productive career or, or well, that's exactly or, what or, the proposal for, for work. The community yeah. colleges. Is. I know, but 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 this is. This doesn't say get rid of algebra. 
it says have a plan for kids that struggle with it and have something where they can get very explicit advice about what to do if they don't do well. That's all reactive, yeah. though. That's 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 hinging upon the fact that, well, a certain amount of kids are not going to pass or a certain amount of kids are not going to hit benchmarks. No, so right. we have to have a plan in place to help those students that are inevitably not going to pass. And I don't think that's a really good mindset necessarily. No, but I mean, I think if you uh, – well, let's say you attack it from both ends. If you, uh, if you attack the teacher problem, as you call it, which, by the way, we, we want <laughs> yeah, our that, listeners to know that he called yeah, it a Casey teacher said that. <laughs> <laughs> I was just He called him. it a teacher it problem. Is. You are not. Well, we can't blame still, it on the kids. But you've not clearly defined what a teacher's problem uh, is yet. Well, I would say that if, if you were to go walk into a random community college oh, boy, classroom. He's going out on a limb. Seriously. Man. Look at the well, – I can't wait for the <laughs> feedback. Keep going. If you walk into a random community college classroom – what kind of teaching will you find most likely? Small group instruction and, and reading groups? <laughs> Differentiated instruction? No. Absolutely. Absolutely not. Hands-on no, materials? Manipulative? No, no way. Yeah, it would be a lot of board, formulas written on the board. Chalkboard. And or notes. Yes. And that's – okay, so that's what it comes back to for me. When I say teacher issue, what I mean is I was somebody who – got like panic attacks from math. It hit a point in math where the teacher would be talking about something and I would just be sitting there. Math phobia. I, ha I have, <laughs> right. And that's a very common thing. Absolutely. I would have is. no idea what you are talking about. And I, to me, at least part of the problem is that math is taught by people that know math. And so it makes sense to them. So when they're doing things like, oh, yeah, just put the X here and the Y here, and then you just take it over here, and you're doing these equations on the board and or teaching things that don't have any impact or, like, I'm not doing math. I'm watching you do math on a piece of paper. Then I have to do it. That makes no sense to me whatsoever. It, it also – you can pertain – you can match that up with any subject, really. Okay, so let's – With history where someone has a really – like, I'm, I'm – you're really interested in it, and you really know how to – you really know how to unpack some of those ideas. You, you have a teacher that can't connect. If you can't connect with kids, then and you can't build those relationships. Well, about, no, no, that's not what I'm saying. And, not and, connecting and, with kids. I'm talking about teaching math, not in a vacuum. But by the, by the way, I agree. By the way, I don't have the data in front of me. Uh, Mr. Mr. Barr did not do research on this, but I would venture to say that we would probably find similar issues with college level intro, college level remedial writing too. Yes. That, yes. That, uh, so I'm not sure this is just a math thing. No, it's not. Um, it's not. But let me let me let me throw Mr. Barr's total um, mind melt at you here because uh, I, I didn't think about this. He says specifically the lower average course credit load and lower course success rate observed in the aftermath period among students who did not complete the sequence suggests the possibility that students premature exit from math may be a consequence of students' gradual departure or slippage versus the cause. Mm, interesting. That is mind-blowing. Yes. <laughs> so it's it's a little bit of the chicken or the egg here in his research. Are these kids that were typically are, – are, are they potentially already on the track right. oh. of slippage and leaving? And, and it, math – it's, it's just a sign. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I think uh, I mean he he admits that that bears that that requires further research. Yeah. But I I do think you know to parse that, I think that needs to be done. And look, I do understand Casey's point from you know ten minutes ago, <laughs> that you start you start snipping away. Okay, let's get rid of algebra because mm -hmm. it's the most failed. Not even low expectations because it's the most failed 
item. Right. Well, then guess what happens after you get rid of that? There's a new most yes. failed yeah. right. class or exactly. whatever. So how do you address yeah. it? And I totally understand that. But um, just because math is so the, – the, as Robbie called it, the math phobia is so ubiquitous yeah. across every level of math. Um, that that's why it's it's so enticing to me to just ax it and get rid of it. <laughs> just get rid just, of it. Just see you later. <laughs> All right. So um, that was a good discussion, guys. That was good. I, I, I enjoyed it. I'm, Thank I'm not, you. I'm not sure on vouchers or remedial math whether we have an answer, but um, I think we looked at it from a lot of different perspectives. I agree. Yeah. I didn't get to talk about Blaine amendments, though. I don't know what those no, are. It's, I, it's actually pretty interesting. You know what I was thinking as you were as you were <laughs> saying this was a teacher problem? I was thinking how glad I am that we're not live and we're – I guess we might get some tweets as a result of, of your statement that it's really? a teacher problem. Yeah. Well, what else would it be? Well, I mean, my guess is is that there are community college teachers that teach remedial math that take great pride in the way they yeah, teach it. Absolutely. I'm sure there are. And, and they struggle to get their kids across the finish line in, in math. It's, it's we, not We it's teach not the students we have, not the students we wish to have. All right, you know what? We're going to end it there. <laughs> and we are going to switch to Dear Betsy. Oh, Dear Betsy. Right. God, that That's insert good. bear I noise. Like that. We should have um, so you read about the you read the speech? The special ed speech? I did. I read the whole speech. I did too. Yeah. It was really how, engaging. How often how often did she mention choice in the speech? Uh, I did, counted it count. actually. Did, did you really? Yeah, I choice, could... chose or choose. How many times do you think? Oh, you did count that? I did. 27. Wow, that's a really high number. Now, I would say I'll put it at 10. Seven. Okay. Seven times. Seven times. Or alluded to it even more than that's that. That's a lot less than 27. That's a lot le- That's like 20 <laughs> points less. But to be fair, I only made it to about paragraph three. And I was like, going to say that it's so kind you, of unreadable. I was, How many I paragraphs was do you think the speech was? It was probably like twice that, maybe 20 paragraphs. Yep. So she mentioned choice on average maybe – Oh, come on, math guy. Every Unknown other, variable. Every other paragraph, uh, maybe? It seemed like a lot. Yes. So, so Mr. Sins, well, you're, you're, I've, none on, of a, us on a lighter note, I found it interesting that she noted Ann Sullivan, who was the teacher of Helen Keller. Oh, yeah, she did reference. Who was a straight-up socialist. <laughs> <laughs> and, she was? Oh, like red as the red days long. <laughs> So, <laughs> yeah, that she was she was a member of the Industrial Workers of the World okay. Socialist Group and founder one of the founders of the ACLU. Helen Keller was. Wow. Betsy, 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 Betsy quoted a commie. She was also a supporter of eugenics, which. Oh, yeah. Little, okay. little, let's, uh, that's on the negative. Let's side. stop talking about Wait, okay. Helen Keller started the ACLU. No, no, no. She was one of, the, yeah. <laughs> one of the founders. Mind blown. <laughs> All right, so she. So what did she say? Okay. So tell us. Well, let me just give you this one quote, Please. which I think is funny, based on our voucher conversation. Um, quote: We should celebrate the fact that, unlike some countries in the world, the United States makes promises that we will never send any student away from our schools. Our commitment is to educate every student. Period. It's but one of America's many compelling attributes, and I just thought that there was. A little bit of irony, or maybe it's hypocrisy. I'm not sure which one, irony. because I know for a fact, with her love of choice, there are lots of situations where um, the schools that she supports would send kids away with special needs uh, because they would not be able to provide the services 
because um, they're not and, getting enough money for that voucher, or they don't want to. Yeah, um, they say we just don't want to. Yep. We don't want yep. to. So that's what happens in Indiana. By there the we way. go. Is that what happens yep. in Indiana? Yep. So I students with IEPs need not apply. There was also something. <coughs> sorry to cut you off, Sidmans, <laughs> about how um, there's some debate as to whether these voucher receiving religious institutions are required to comply with the Americans with Disabilities Act. Oh. So I think it has come down on the side of no, that they can receive public <laughs> funds and not actually have to comply with federal that is law, which is disastrous. crazy. Yeah. I, so that's that accountability. I felt pretty proud of myself because I actually read the Did you read ID, Supreme Court IDA? case. Oh, you did? Okay. I did. I was very proud of myself because I don't think I've ever read through one before. Uh, it was an 8 and O decision. So they... This is what she was talking about with the F, Undefeated. the Andrew, the Andrew case. This Pub- is only a public few... law ninety four one forty two. That's actually close. Was I close? No, I'm just kidding. I have okay. no idea. <laughs> yeah. no, that's, um, that's that's so the in that it's, it's it's this kid who had autism and the, the school had an IEP in fourth grade and then when he went to fifth grade the parents saw that the IEP was basically the same and they pulled him out brought him to private school. And w- then went to the state and asked the state or district to pay for his education at that private school, which was an autism specialty school. Um, and he did make meaningful progress. And I was going through and I, I pulled out an, an essential question for you both. Must schools provide a meaningful education in which children show significant progress and are given substantially equal opportunities as typical children? Or can they provide an education that results in just some improvement? That's the, the big picture in the case. Ultimately, the Supreme Court. What they decide? They decided to that the district had to pay for his education. Right, and 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 Betsy's claiming that as a victory. That would, but yes. the, right. people are freaking out about it. It's it it doesn't really expand the direction of the the free and appropriate education. De minimis. In de minimis. That's her. That that was her favorite Latin term in her speech. That was her wagging her finger at um, yeah. the Supreme Court. Yeah. Um, I do agree. One of the things that she said, there's be- because there are too often artificial barriers and roadblocks that limit your ability to focus on meeting their individual needs. I do believe that there are there are pieces of the IEP process and IEPs in general that sometimes get bogged down in, in preventing teachers from from spending the time supporting kids. Mm-hmm. Um. <laughs> I do have to. We have to. Some. We have to pick out where areas you have to agree. I. I, I liked her. I liked her. Um, you totally dismissing my. No, I. No, I'm you're, not. You're, I just you're got, on your own little. No, I got. I got. Let, I, let me. I. I have to make sure I pick out the right quote over here. I'm not going to pay attention to I my just, co-host. Judy Barr. Don't worry. Jeez. Well, he had a really resounding agreement. Le- uh-huh. Yeah, that was really good. That was really good. McKinsey. I, I just listened to everything you said. Yeah. Uh-huh. Let me check my phone. I just got distracted because I liked how she you said, did? with your great input, we've made it attractive. Imagine that, an attractive government website. Oh, yeah, yeah, I did see that. <laughs> On the IDEA website uh, that hadn't been updated in years, I she believe said. We had to shut the whole thing down. Oh, that's great. I, I, I um, you know, again, I think her, her approach to special education is, is that um, – Parents will hold schools accountable by the choices that they make. Um, that's the theory. Yeah, that's the that is that, the theory. That's the theory. Um, so anyway, we'll we'll see we'll see where that goes. Are we ready for? I'm ready. Top ten. 
I'm so, ready. So let's be clear. Uh, what are the rules of the game? We're not getting asked any questions. You're just going to read us the top ten list. So I'll read the top ten list for this one. You can be interactive. If you, okay. you if you, especially if you agree, or if it's something that you, you're like, oh, I've experienced that before. Definitely, <laughs> definitely. So. Okay. As I, just, I, just I, to be I clear, I, I like really a lot. I like to be asked questions. I know, I know. I know. We like to participate. <laughs> As you know, idioms are really not my cup of tea. You okay? Okay. Come on, that was that was actually an idiom. It was an idiom. <laughs> that was an idiom. That was an idiom. Okay. For the English major, yeah. yes. I was lost Very good. Idea. Not okay, idiot. Go idiom. Right. Okay. So here are the top ten overused idioms and analogies in education. Are you ready for them? I'm so ready. All right, number ten. See, so you need to be thinking oh, about are, the ones you've are, heard before. Okay. You probably are thinking of I some right now. I still don't know how this is interactive, but go ahead. That's a whole other ball of wax. Number 10. <laughs> okay. That's, that's good. Is that, is, that, is that okay? Is that all right? Have you heard that I've said that in ILT meetings. I know you have. That, I wrote, guys, I wrote, that's I a to, whole other ball of wax. I used to write them down. <laughs> the, the ones that I said? I did, yeah. Yeah, I've never said that. That's a little <laughs> All right, number nine. Let's get our ducks in a row. <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> I might be guilty that's, of that. Yeah, yeah, that's an old-fashioned one right there. <laughs> Let's get our ducks. <laughs> Do millennials uh, not use idioms? It is kind of an old person. It is an old person. I, I don't even so. think they know what idioms are. Okay. All right. Number eight. Number eight. That's just the way the cookie crumbles. I've never used that ever. That's a bad one. Or or I this is not an idiom, but it equates to this. It is what it is. I have used that one. Yep. Yeah. It's kind of a bummer. In moments of in moments of crisis, <laughs> like when we, when crisis we, moments, when we yeah. had a very important open house, right? And Mr. Crable was in the mountains uh, of Nevada, staring up at the stars from the balloons. When, when he should have been there, I, the I said, "It is what it, it is. It is what it is." <laughs> I don't think you were that calm when you said it. Is. <laughs> I, I, I might not. There might have been a little shaky yeah, going on. A lot. Uh, All right. All right, number seven. Uh huh. Let's touch base next week. Yeah. What else do you do? You yeah. touch base. You touch base. You, you touch the base. <laughs> uh, number six. Slapping the base. Slapping the base. Number six. Yeah. We're putting the cart before the horse. Oh, no. <laughs> oh I, I love that one. That's a good one. Do you that, use that one? Yeah, yeah. I, yes, you do. I, I use that. We're that putting the cart you. before the horse. Yeah, 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 I like that one. Number five. This is this is interchangeable. We need to flush this out, or oh, that we need to flesh this out, or is un, let's unpack this. Yeah, that's, that's, that's you're getting ahead of me. That's number five. We're on number five uh, right now. Okay, <laughs> but but let's go back to flush and flesh. Flush. I've heard it both ways. I I, I cannot deal with flush. It's, it's flu- You don't flush. Well, I, I've never heard of that. There's a good oatmeal. The there, there's a good oatmeal cartoon that explains the difference between flushing an idea out <laughs> and flushing it out. Uh, although I will tell you, here's a, here's another one. I've always had trouble with getting untracked. <laughs> Who said that? Untracked? Untracked. Distract. No, not distract. Untracked. Unintracked. Which is really, (laughs) I think, getting on track. No. No, that's wrong. Untracked? Look it up. That's wrong. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> number number four. Number four. Okay, can, can when we do editing on this, can we get that that part out? <laughs> I just said untracked. Okay, go ahead. Number four, low hanging fruit. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. 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 I Have like you use that. Oh yeah, I use that. Yeah. You don't need a ladder. Yeah. That's true. I I, I'm a, I, I'm a, a I think I think a rule of this game we should have we should have pointed out different situations we were in educationally where, where these might have been used. Uh, that would be a that's whole tough. segment that yeah, no one wants to listen okay. to. All right, okay. Everybody's so. going to listen to it and be like, I've heard that one, <laughs> okay. And, okay. And, and be right. resentful. Hit us with it's that. Casey's uh, game. Okay. That's right. That's all I get. Number three, we need to think outside the box. Oh, yeah. yeah. Robbie actually gave me an entire book <laughs> uh, about 
bo- in box and out of oh, box. Yeah, I did. Yeah, really? that's good. Yeah, I can't oh, remember what good. it was called, but that was that was the essential. Um, it was called gist of the book. The box. Can can while we're at it, can we say that I cannot stand the people that use prepositions at the end of things like I am going to tweet it out. We're going to share it, out. I'm going to share. Shouldn't it just be I'm going to tweet it? We're going to share it. Share it out. Tweet out. Tweet out. <sighs> tweet it out. Okay, number two. Number two. I'd like to piggyback on that comment. <laughs> Dovetail. Dovetail. Oh, you like that. That's oh. a good one. I'm going to dovetail <laughs> <Yeah>. this one. <laughs> Just say that I have a comment. Okay, yeah. Number one. Number one. We need to unpack this. <laughs> Sorry, I'm sorry we sealed your thunder. <laughs> That was tremendous. Yeah. Uh, nice job, Mr. Sid. So, that was know, a good list. I like I'm that. David Letterman will check us out, maybe. All yeah, right. Oh, okay. Sure. I think he's listening right now. It's possible. It's possible. All right, boys. So this uh, concludes the second episode of Ed's Not Dead. Um, we are going to go into August recess. Hibernation. Okay, we we have some trips planned, right? We, we got do. Some, we got some yeah. vacations. Mister Mister Craves is doing the ob- obligatory beach trip. Yeah, I'm going to Prague. You are? I am. What are you doing there? Oh, traveling. Okay. All right. <laughs> Drinking some steins of beer. Steins. Okay. So we got two beach trips in Prague. That's right. Um, so we are going to come back in late August for the first annual. Ed's not dead. Back to school special. Yeah. Is first annual redundant? Is that? <laughs> Okay, that that is kind of bad. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So anyway, we, we might have a guest. How about first ever? First ever. A first like ever. A premiere. Yeah, we're gonna have a couple guests, right? We're gonna talk to a first year teacher who is now a second year teacher, hopefully. And, and we're gonna talk to a first year principal. Oh, who's I didn't know that. Now a second year principal. That's awesome. Um, and we're gonna we're gonna really unpack the start of school and <laughs> what it means. We're gonna or, we're gonna flesh. By it the out. way, I want you to know that I just totally said that <laughs> yeah. legitimately. Yeah, you, I saw you had no reaction I, whatsoever. That was really. We're gonna flesh it out. We're gonna flesh it <laughs> yeah. out. Um, so that's that's coming up. What's the what's the approximate date of uh, the Ed's Not Dead Back to School special? We're thinking uh, the first week of September, right around Labor Day. Should be should be premiering right around when our students are going back to school. A lot yeah. of students going back to school. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. exciting times, uh, and a lot of nerves for our new educators that will be entering the field. And veteran, it always is nerves, bundle of nerves. That's true. You do you do wake up in the night thinking yep. about what you have forgotten to yes. do. Yes. Um, so once again, uh, folks, you can reach us at Ed's Not Dead PC on and Twitter. And you, where are you? I'm at Ch Siddons. Mr. Crabes. My name is Peter Crable. Okay, and you can uh, contact me at at rw dodd. So, folks, thanks for tuning in. We look forward to catching up with you in late August. Have a great day. Woo.